Hello and welcome back everyone here, Burn Your Boats, back at it again with me, your host, Matthew Lestalia. Happy to have you here. Um, today, today is a, it's a pretty awesome episode. Not gonna lie to you. It's, um, this one is, is near and dear to my heart and, uh, and it comes from, it comes from a place, uh, it actually, I, I was reading this book, um, called The Tipping Point from Malcolm Gladwell and I, I love Malcolm Gladwell. I don't always agree with what he says, but I always um, appreciate his perspective. And he, one of the things, one of the things that he does that I like a lot is um, he references many social psychological experiments. And and I just, I, I love it. I love to see how we react, um, how it's being studied. And kind of, kind of what the results are because we are, we are very curious beings. We are us humans, <laughs> and um, and the study of people is kind of that's kind of my thing, right? It's a, uh, it's what it's what we're trying to do here. We're we're examining ourselves and we're trying to be more considerate of ourselves and to ourselves, so that way we can be better for those in our lives directly and everyone else around us who are also subsequently in our lives in, in some way, shape or form. You know, it's interesting coming. I didn't even think about this. This is something that I had heard was, um, we're talking about the six degrees of seven, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, and it turns out like on average, all of the actors. So, so if you're not familiar, it's, it's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon is the idea that any, actor in any movie can be linked to kevin bacon through relations like through another movie not through like relations <laughs> through uh through other uh other movies right and so you know this actor was in this movie who was with this actress she was this actress was in this other movie with this guy and this guy was in a movie with kevin bacon and so on and so forth um and it's actually so kevin bacon actually they, there was another subsequent test that was done that ended up showing that Kevin Bacon was not very high up. They, they tried to do like a list of like every actor and Kevin Bacon was not high on the list of connectivity. It wasn't like this, this phenomenon that exists with Kevin Bacon. It just, it's a phenomenon that exists with people. And, um, and Kevin Bacon, it was like an average of two, you could get to him with an average number of like 2.41 or some, some madness like that. And, um, which is, you know, it's pretty good, but, but yeah, so there were people that he was like, I forget, what was he like 600th on the list of the actors that were, that were put on this list, 70, something like that, where he was, he was low relatively, I'm a higher than average, but, but no, nowhere near the, the top echelon. Um, and there was actually a, a test that was done that, that, um, it was, it was, this really stuck out in my memory because it was for, it was based on contacting people in Omaha, Nebraska. And so what happened was there was a mail, um, there was a, a package mailed to different people in Omaha, Nebraska, where I'm from. Love it. Love all you Omaha listeners. I appreciate you guys so much. <laughs> it's always good to have you here. And I think you'll appreciate this one as well. Um, so they would... The general premise is that the this package would be sent to them and it was told like, you know, send this. We want you to get this to a person that works on Wall Street 
in the shortest amount of time through like the, the, the least amount of people between you and that final destination as possible. And so they had them guess like how many do you think, how many people's hands do you think this is going to have to pass through in order to get on to somebody's desk who works on Wall Street? And uh, the the guesses were some you know something like like the low balls were like people were like oh like a hundred or whatever, and then some other people would say oh you know like like I like the the more conservative guesses would be something to the effect of like twenty maybe a dozen, and really it turned out that it was um it was low it was always something like 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 between four and six people. Uh, it took f- to get from them in Omaha to to uh, the desk of somebody on Wall Street, and it just and it, it goes to the idea of the the connected uh, kind of nature that that we're all in. And so, when you don't think that your life is super interconnected, like you're you're not that far away. I mean, if if somebody in Omaha, Nebraska, is only two, three, four people away from somebody on wall street you know the the world is smaller and it is closer and more connected uh your world specifically than you may realize you just may not know who some of the people that you know know (laughs) that if that makes sense you know (laughs) so but uh but yeah no so i mean we're, we're trying to make ourselves better so that the both the known and the unknown connected worlds around us can improve um and as we improve our lives, we improve the lives of everyone there around us. While the rising tide may not may not raise the level of all other boats equally, if you're doing it ethically, your rising tide will not lower anybody else's ship. The only way it's lowered is if you if you act in some unethical way, um, or. Like the only other ways, if you put somebody out of, if you go into business and you put somebody out of business, and then one person, that that business was not creating as much value as you were, and was not as competitive as you were. So you're you're benefiting all of these other people, while somebody had to take the brunt, like the other business had to take the brunt. So it is possible that people go down, but it's it's to the net benefit of all. Um, and that's, I mean, and the idea is that you want to stay as lean and as competitive as you can. You know, you want you want to be out there providing the the greatest amount of value for uh, the most reasonable cost. I mean, and really, you want to do it for the highest cost that you can. And the thing that keeps you in check is other people competing against you. And so that's a, it's getting way off the point of where we wanted to go with this. Um, and so to get ourselves kind of back on track, the you, what you saw in the title, you know, it's it's this is about this is about broken windows, right? And so, some of you may be familiar with it and may know what the broken windows theory is, but to um to get everyone on the same on the same wavelength, this is the this is the area from which I'm operating. Um, so I, I actually pulled something from Britannica. Um, so broken windows theory, an academic theory proposed by James Q. Wilson and George Kelling in 1982 that used broken windows as a metaphor for disorder within neighborhoods. Their theory links disorder and incivility within a community to subsequent occurrences of serious crime. 
The broken windows theory is a criminal criminological theory that states that visible signs of crime, antisocial behavior, and civil disorder create an urban environment that encourages further crime and disorder, including serious crimes. Um, and actually, the interesting thing that I didn't know is that while the broken windows theory uh, is this academic theory that was leveraged or launched from James Q. Wilson and George Kelling, um, it actually had its roots, and that was in, what do we say, 1982? It had its roots from back in 1969, actually, from a gentleman named Philip Zimbardo, a psychologist from Stanford. And he did a field test, again, like I told you before, I have a proclivity for uh, being my interest peaks with with these field studies. I love them. I love them. And this is this is no exception to the rule. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So what what the premise is? He had he picked two very different locations, right? Uh, a poor crime ridden section in New York City. Um, and another area, which was a fairly affluent neighborhood of Palo Alto, California. And he, what he did is that he took a car to both of these places and both cars were left without license plates and they were parked with their hoods up. So, you know, it looked like a rundown car on the side of the road, a car that was having trouble. Apparently, after a very short period of time in New York, uh, they vandal, vandalization began to occur on the car for it was it was stripped for parts um and then random you know they were just smashing the stuff out uh, windows were smashed and the car was destroyed um but in california the that car was untouched for more than a week it wasn't even no one even touched it um and then zimbardo went back in to kind of stoke it along to, to test the theory further and he took a he took a hammer he took a sledgehammer and he gave the California car a smash. After that, um, passerby quickly ripped it apart, just as they'd done in New York. So this was a just a simple demonstration of how something that is clearly neglected, like visibly neglected, and that is shown to have like no value uh, and nobody cares about it, um, it becomes a target for vandals. Um, and so this idea, this base idea, which I'm not sure what it was, I'm not sure if Zimbardo had a label for it or what it was, but it was 13 years later when, um, when Kelling and, and Wilson came and, and apparently it was an article that they had written, uh, 13 years later. And that's, I believe that's where the idea of the, the actual name that they came up with, which was called Broken Windows. Um, one of the interesting parts about this is that, so there, there's a, there's a actually a pretty fair, um, back and forth on the research when it comes to the fallout in New York, um, and the, in the application of this theory with Giuliani in the nineties. Um, you know, there, there are people that, that credit the broken windows theory, uh, for being a huge, influence being the influence to why everything got better and and the new approach to law enforcement in the area and that being the reason it got better there are other people that that kind of address or the the kind of counterparts or the opposing 
ideas from that are, are kind of twofold, right? So one of them is crime was already starting to fall um, in the areas there. And so it wasn't, you know, the, the, the trend was already moving that way. Um, but I think that there was a precipitous drop off. I think that that's, that's the thing that that doesn't really cover is, is how dramatic the change was around the time when broken windows was put into effect. But the other part, which is much more tangible is that it, it, like any good, uh, I don't know, like any good politician does, you know, you, you ride a good idea until the wheels fall off and you ride it until it's no longer a good idea and it's a bad idea. And so when it's go, when it turns into, to stop and frisk, uh, from broken windows to stop and frisk then then you start running into into more of the ethical and moral problems that you would that that we as people should have a problem with you know um broken windows does not mean that you address that you you remove people's rights from them and and that's what was happening um in in cases with stop and frisk so again that that's 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 veering off the point the 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 basic idea is is kind of what happened so so there was a particular aspect of the shift and it's actually um i don't know i don't know if this is related um but i just remember reading something they were talking about like cleaning up the streets and when we hear the term, that phraseology of cleaning up the streets, we think, all right, okay, I think of reducing crime. I think of, you know, like getting bad guys off the streets or cleaning it up. You're getting the, you're getting the, the trash, not the literal trash, but the figurative human equivalent of trash off of the streets and making it a safer place for everyone else. That's cleaning up the streets. But what happened with this is they actually took a much more literal approach with the broken windows theory. And they said, let's actually put focus on the little things in an effort to create the environment that is conducive to security and safety. And so that's what that's what they did. In, in one particular instance of this, they the, the police were reporting that um, what they would see with vandalism specifically on train cars, right? So you'd have a you'd have a train car, and let's say there was one that was getting ready to get uh, to get done up, that was ready to get to get some some solid graffiti out there. A person basically, apparently, to to get this done, it was a three day process, right? You the the group. Or the person who would go up and vandalize it would go up the first night, and they would lay down the uh, like the primer, like getting the getting the scene set so that way um, they could come back on the second night and they could draw the outline. And then on the third night, they would be able to go in and fill in the outline and and, and with all of the the colors and their full artistic impression, uh, and really really give it all the detail that that they wanted to give it. Right, so. What they, what the police started to do was when they would identify, they would identify this in the, in the process of it happening. So if they didn't catch it the first night, they catch it the second night. And if they didn't catch it the second night, they catch it the third night. But the basic premise being that, yeah, you can come out and you can paint the cars, but your artwork will never see the light of day. 
And when you think about the motivations of the person, that's kind of the point. They want to be able to show people like, hey, look what I did. Um, and they they want to just like uh, just like anybody else. They want people to see their work. They want people to be to be impressed with what they've done. And if you're putting in nights and nights and nights of labor into something and nobody ever sees it because the police keep coming through, like it's going to it's going to change your motivation it's going to change your your level of enthusiasm to go out there and get it done like oh, okay well this isn't like no one's ever seeing it and what am i doing it for so that's one aspect of it but the other aspect is now you're seeing really clean trains drive throughout the city and you're seeing and then you you take that and so when you look at the train you don't have this uh feeling that it's that nobody cares about it and that because nobody cares about it then it's potentially unsafe then you can you can actually start like oh people do care but like they're they're paying attention they're paying attention enough where they're going up regularly and repainting this thing um, and it looks clean and then they do the same thing with the with the cleanliness on the inside and you start looking at the the streets and the actual like the getting things repaired and and you start putting the emphasis and the focus on these things and you start changing the actual feel of these communities enabling for something greater to happen um and it's 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 an incredible process it's an incredible theory it's very uh it's very intriguing and so and 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 it goes on to like in this book in the tipping point it's incredible incredible stuff uh where they talk about the difference of kind of nature versus nurture right and talking about uh, you know, they fully identifying and, and acknowledging the importance of, of nurturing and the world that we can create for our young ones, for the, for the, the good habits that we can instill, the education that we can provide and, and, and the, the structured home that we can give and how important those things are. But it also there was a really interesting, another, Hey, go figure another, another social experiment. <laughs> there was one that was done with children and it was specifically about honesty and it had to do with children who, um, not children who, so let me rephrase. So what they did was they took children and, they would test them, you know, uh, age and school level, age and school level, uh, like determined work, uh, what like simple math problems and, um, tasks, simple tests and tasks that would be done in a supervised mode and an unsupervised mode. Sometimes they'd be tested at school. Sometimes they'd be allowed to take it home. And the idea here wasn't to gain an idea of how smart the kids were. The idea it was a it was a trust and truth telling test, right? And so it was um, would would children cheat? You know, and under what conditions would they cheat? And so it was interesting because you would see that boys and girls would cheat similarly um and then you would also see kind of what you might expect where uh, less intelligent children would cheat more frequently than higher intelligence children like and so the way that they would test the intelligence is that the ones who would do well on the test without cheating you know when they were given a chance to 
to perform it in an environment where cheating wasn't, um, where their performance wasn't being directly monitored, they still wouldn't cheat. Um, and so that's, that's fairly um, expected. But the interesting thing is that they, uh, they found, let's see, um, they identified the fact that the, uh, a child would cheat on one test, not in, and not cheat on another test, right? So that, like, just because a child cheated on one didn't mean that he would cheat on another. And just because he cheated at home doesn't mean he'd cheat at school. And if he cheated at school, he wouldn't necessarily cheat at home. Um, all of these things were actually fairly uh, disparate. They weren't. They weren't connected. Um, and so it's just like like what I was saying in the beginning. It's that. Um, what they're not trying to say is that the the circumstances the circumstances are not wholly responsible for the behavior that of of humans and of the children, but rather they were showing the that slight changes in the circumstances can greatly impact uh, our choices and our decision making, and it's it's very we we are. We are impacted by the world around us and not acknowledging that is not to acknowledge and is to deny human nature and the way that we, the way that we are. There was, I mean, there's the, again, there's another one with um, the the students. This is a a relatively famous one at this point that I've heard over and over again that has to do with students uh, in Stanford that were brought in for the, the prison experiment where they brought in like 21 students, half of them were prisoners, half of them were um, police slash correction officers. And the it, they started all the way at the beginning where the students that were the police officers would go into the homes of the students who were the prisoners and they would go and they would arrest them and then they would take them and they'd bring them to prison. And they had this whole prison set up uh, inside of a dorm where they uh, where they had like they had an isolation uh, cell set up they had different individual cells set up in a block um, and very quickly they saw that the the students with power like on the first night the students that were police officers started to enforced like crazy punishments they woke all the prisoners up at like two in the morning and had them doing push-ups and they started having them march down the halls handcuffed together holding hand in hand saying they love each other uh blindfolded and and stuff like that all of this mad craziness super fast and it was interesting the way that the the students had referred and it was supposed to go for two weeks right and they ended up cutting it at six days is how out of control the the situation got and there there is some i've heard some things where it's been discredited and some of the students were trying to get out of it and were so were being more crazy so that way they could end it but the thing is the the radical behavior started on night one so you wouldn't volunteer to be a part of an experiment only to night one but i really don't want to do it and so i'm gonna start acting crazy like there is there is baseline there in, in absolute reality and it was really interesting because the way that the students referred back to themselves in it 
um, the, like the prisoner students would refer to themselves like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't me. I was like this distant, distant association of myself. I was, and they, while they were there, they were only referred to as their prison number. And so this one student was identified as uh, prisoner 416. And he's like, while I was there, I was, I was prisoner 416 and I had to act like prisoner 416 and I made decisions as prisoner 416 would do not necessarily as i would do in this day and age like i was i was me but it was it was a, a vague blurry hazy version of myself that i wouldn't recognize today and that i would never act the way that i did in there on the outside um it's just and and the idea was to identify you know are prisons nasty places uh filled with nasty people or or is the environment is it a nasty place that people get subjected into or is it a place that is nasty because nasty people are are put in there and it's i mean the answer is both right you're bringing in people that that have bro violated you know crimes and, and violated laws and, and committed crimes um some and but some of them are non-violent right and so like you think about the the crimes that some of these people commit; they're not very serious, and so, and then they're they're subjected to this environment of 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 nastiness, you know. And, and you have to change kind of who you are so that you can survive and, and operate in that new type of environment. And we wonder why we talk about indoctrination and things like that when people are getting out. If you've ever seen Shawshank Redemption. Um, they do a very amazing illustrative job of, of the impacts of a lifelong journey spent inside of a prison. And it's just, it's interesting because we, we can be the same way. And that's, we, we can very much be indoctrinated into our lives, right? And indoctrinated into what we're used to in the normal and, and not want to put ourselves in a position of of difference and growth and it's just it's it's an interesting thing because when you think about the broken windows and you think about the impact that that has and, and, and you think about the environment around us whether it's it's a prison cell it's a broken window or it's a beautiful view out of the backyard and it's and it's gorgeously well manicured lawns um or if it's a bustling busy street uh city street that is that is well cleaned up and, and minimally littered on um or one that's you know highly graffitied like each of these things as you take your take the time and you really envision it like think about the way that you feel think about the the impact that that's having on you psychologically and emotionally and like do you feel stressed when you start thinking about one versus the other you know and and even as i was saying them i could feel it within myself i mean for me it's not even necessarily just like the the straight up good or the bad like oh is it is it littered and covered with graffiti or is it um or is it clean you know and 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 well taken care of um some some of it like i get stressed when i think about like a a, a busy city street even if it is clean and well kept you know that's just not where i want to be so you throw some other things that i'm not comfortable with in there as well and i'm i'm going to get stressed out and i'm going to we do not act as ourselves when we are subject to environments that we're not the most comfortable with like when that's as an adult that's what we do over and over again we figure out the things that we're comfortable with and we continue to ensure that we put ourselves in those positions um I really enjoy small get-togethers. 
with with a couple of other couples in the backyard, um, you know, barbecuing perhaps, but sitting around and and just and talking. I love that. Um, I could do that every weekend, and I could be the life of the party. Whereas if I'm in a larger group of fifteen or more people. And I don't know them in the same way that I know the smaller group. I'm going to be a completely different person. And the actions that I take that I take are going to be completely different. But I'm still me. It's still the same person. And these are all external factors um, that impact us. And so so, so what, what are we talking about? Why are we talking about this here on today's show? Um, when we're looking at like personal change, personal growth, and how do we improve? Well... Think about what well, I'm going I'm to walk this in. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to walk this in nice and slow. So we're going to start physical. We're going to start with yourself. And we're going to start physical. So think of your room right now, your bedroom in which you sleep. Is your bed made? Is it a mess? Does the mess beget a bigger mess or a smaller mess? Like, does your bed not being made make it more likely or less likely that you're going to pick up the the clothes that are sitting outside of the hamper on the ground? Right? Does your bed being made make you more likely to, to pick that stuff up? Um, do you take pride in the presentation of your house and your home, in the cleanliness of it? Um, do, you, do you take pride in the outside of your home? Um, think about the impacts of you taking pride in that or your, your belief that it's an unnecessary and futile effort that elicits little value to do so um if you do if you think if you have if you take the pride in it you will take the time or you invest money um into the care of your home like you're either going to pay somebody to do it or you're going to do or you're not going to do that and so the thing about how that, how that impacts the people that you live with and their lives and you're now thinking about the this broken windows theory around the people that you are set to take care of. Think about the stress that that could potentially add in on them. And think about the friends that you have that you want to invite over. Think about the the perspective that they have. And now, 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 I want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about what you're trying to do. If you're listening to this, it's most likely because you want to improve. You want to be better. And if you're trying to do that, if you're trying to move across socioeconomic classes, you're trying to break out of one and into another, um, what do you think the impacts of those decisions are one way or the other? To me, this is the same idea as like, you know, dress for the job that you want. This is, this is conduct yourself as the person that you want in your life. And this translates across the board to all sorts of things. This all other physical things. Your car, your office space, you know, like all of these things. Think of it, assess it, and 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 think about the the type of environment you're creating for yourself. Think about where you have the most mental space to to create and to be your best. Um, are you maintaining those things in a way that it, that makes that most likely? But now I want to shift to the part that I really cared about and the reason why I made this episode. Um, 
I want you to think about what we've talked about in the past. I want you to think about the your personal narrative. In this regard, I want you to think about it a little bit differently. I want you to like to go into your mind's eye. I want you to, to go inside of your head. And I want you to, to look across, look around and see like what images are painted on the walls of your mind. What do they say? Are there words? What do they say? What feeling do you get from it? What happens when we just leave them there without focusing on what they say or seeing if it's some something that we want to keep on the wall, something that we, we would want to frame and to secure, or if it's something that needs to be cleaned up, just like the police rolled paint over the graffiti on the train cars, do you need to roll paint over the graffiti on the walls of your mind? What happens when we start cleaning it up? We develop muscle memory. We develop the mental muscle memory to destroy these destructive thoughts. We become sensitive to when they're introduced into our mind. I don't mean sensitive like, oh my gosh, it's just everything bothers me. I mean like we become aware. Our awareness goes through the roof. When you have these negative thoughts, these destructive thoughts, and when they, they flow into your mind and you recognize it like boom there it is i like i see it and like and i'm addressing it and i'm not letting it sit that's not me that's not who i am um we can act quickly we can act so quickly to remove these to address these things that do not serve us think of it like this think of it like one new piece of graffiti or one more piece of litter amongst an entire block of buildings. Like, so like, think about a group, picture yourself, you're, you're in a city and you have buildings side by side by side. And you're walking down the street and you see that all of these buildings are just covered with graffiti, right? They're just, it's just plastered like, like end to end paint just one on top of another on top of another like one graffiti artist is throwing his tag up on top of another person's and you got layers on this thing and you're walking down and a new one was just put up 10 minutes before you showed up on the street do you think you're going to notice it do you think you're going to be able to identify which one of those is new think about it again this way imagine a, a, a parking lot in front of you or even a field right like a, here we go think about like the grass median on the highway and think about the trash that people throw out or fall out of the back of their cars or fly out of the back of their trucks or whatever think about all the trash that's there that's collected up in the middle and just piled up to the point where like at point sometimes you can't even see the grass like it's just it's so there's so much trash and and you're you're out there and you're driving by and and someone asks you, like, hey, did you see the which which one of those which one of those is the newest? Which one just fell out? And you look over and you're just looking amongst this field of just litter and trash and old Coke bottles and, and fast food bags and there's how would you tell? How would you be able to tell? You wouldn't, would you? Think about that inside of your mind. How hard is it? 
to identify that new destructive thought if your mind is already plastered with all of these other negative thoughts and it's just it's just a little squiggle on the end of one that already exists it's just a little extension it just it just extends it a quarter of an inch there's no way that you'd ever be able to tell but if you take the roller and you show up in your mind and you start clearing it out one bit at a time one piece at a time you start taking out and sometimes it takes assistance Sometimes you got to work through that. Sometimes you, you can't just pick up a roller yourself. You need a you need a uh, a fellow painter in there with you, whether that's a friend, whether that's a loved one, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a therapist, a counselor. Address it. Leaving it as it is will leave you as you are. If you want to stay as you are, continue doing what you're doing. If you want change, act like the person that you want to be. Ask the, you, the version of yourself that's five years from now that is the version of you that you want to be. What decision did they make today that made the difference in their life to put them to where they are in five years from now? Ask that question. There's an answer. You can find it. I love you guys. I appreciate you. And I will see you here again next week for another episode of Burn Your Boats.